Um, I feel like I've been in this sermon series for months now because, like I said, I, I built this whole thing out to be our curriculum for Teen Week. And I, we taught it at Teen Week, and I came right to here. But it's been a blessing to me, and I hope it has been to you as well. <clears throat> but to recap last week, we talked about this idea of discipline and how important discipline is in our lives. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we allow discipline to be our first love, we're missing the mark completely. It's great to be in your Bible. It's great to be in the Word. It's great to be worshiping here together. But if discipline is your first and foremost, your first love, you're missing the mark. And the second thing we talked about is that allowing the mystery of God to draw you near. And I just look back here and Darren's here now, too. All right, Jeremy, can you give me my Bible really quick? I have to do this. Okay, Darren, come here. Come here. Okay. We're going to be here for a few minutes, guys. Okay, Darren got baptized too, and I didn't see him earlier, so we got this Bible to present to Darren. We already prayed for you in in theory, so let's just all clap for Darren. I'm going to give you a hug here. All right, you're good. Okay. This is what you get at Melbourne. You get a guy who's kind of all over the place sometimes, but we make it work because God is good, okay? That's all that really matters, okay? All right. That's love right there. That's love. I love to be a part of this church where that's not that big of a deal, right? Where we can kind of just do these sidebars and we're still going. We're still talking about love. We're seeing love in action, right? Committing our lives over to Jesus. That is love. Okay. But today we are going to finish this series uh, and we're going to finish kind of like we started. Okay, we started talking about just this whole magnificent way, this most excellent way about love, this kind of big topic, but how it kind of intricately works through every aspect of our lives, right? We talked about love being this thing, and what, I, what I'm kind of getting to is that this whole idea is simple, but it's not easy, right? It's a simple concept, but it's not easy. It's very straightforward. I, I should have just taken one week to say, love each other, and you guys could have nodded your heads and say, sure. And that could have been a great series because that's what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to do. But it is very, very simple, but it's not easy. It's important to have these verses in mind with what we read last week, okay? So if you have your Bibles, be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because I think these verses kind of influence, or they should influence, what we read last week. Picking up in verse 11 of chapter 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me, right? We talked a little bit about how that was Paul's prior experience, right, where he was thinking and believing he was a fully grown man, but he would not have that revelatory experience with Jesus yet. Verse 12, he says this, for now we see only reflection in the mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known, right? We talked about how we're only going to see a very, very small image of what God is trying to do in our lives while we live these lives that we're living today. But then he leads with this, or leaves us with this, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And for me, as I read these things kind of, in tandem, the verses from last week and the verses this week, I kind of hear an exasperation in Paul's voice, right? Because we talked about these two tensions. We talked about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at the very end about all these great gifts that people can have and manifest in their lives and do within the church. But then we talked about how important love is. And if you don't have love, these things don't really matter. But these things kind of do matter. But if you don't do them, in a, you see what I'm saying? There's a tension at play. And Paul is giving us this tension, and tension is so, so important. 
If you read other writings of Paul throughout the New Testament, you'll see this tension at play over and over again, where there's this big idea and this big idea, and somewhere in the middle is where you need to be, right? Because if without this tension, you're kind of left with these kind of half-truths. If it's all just love, then you're missing out on the fact that there's other things that you have to do. I've heard these things said before, I'm sure you have as well, where it's like, well, I just want to love everybody. What does that mean? Right? We want to have this theory of, can't we all just get along? This, this idea of the world wants to say, love is all that matters, but there's so much more to it than that. But if we have all just works, all just the gifts, then we're talking like we did last week about it just being about those things, right? The things you can put into the world, the things that you can do. If it's just about doing, you're missing out on love. And that's where the tension kind of gets us. Right? We have to live between this tension of showing this most excellent way to others while also giving, you know, showing our gifts and presenting our gifts and doing our things for the church and for the world around us. There's a middle point that we have to reach. We have to lean into this balance. And, and as I was thinking of this balance of, of, of doing my gifts for the church and for the world and also doing it with love and all of these complexities that go with that, I thought of two people in my life. Uh, We've all had good teachers in our lives, and we've all had bad teachers in our lives. And I had two people that came to my mind as I thought about this tension, right, of this balance. I had a piano teacher when I was a kid. I'm not going to say her name, but she was the worst, okay? She came to my house every Saturday, and she smelled bad. She was really mean. She was just aggressive, Um, she said she trained at Juilliard. I don't believe it as an adult. She was just so, so mean. Um, me, me and my sister would take 30, 45-minute lessons every Saturday, and I dreaded Saturday morning with a passion. Uh, every time I did something wrong, it was, you know, I'm bad. Or she, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't slap my hand or anything, but she was pretty close to that, right? That level of just, just meanness kind of wrapped up in an old lady who, who, who you know, may or may not have known piano very well. And as a result of that, I didn't really love piano very much. I hated Saturday morning. I hated playing piano. I learned piano. I learned to read music. And that was just the first step in my musical journey. Uh, and I appreciate it, okay? But I had a different teacher. Um, his name, I'll tell you, his name was Daniel Yancey. And he was my, my first guitar teacher. I was 11 years old, and my dad got me a guitar for my birthday and said, you're going to learn this. So I said, okay. And so we went to Yancey's Music Center in uh, Ormond Beach, Florida. And I took lessons there for a very long time, and Daniel became a very close friend of mine. I learned how to play guitar and bass and drums and all these things because Daniel was just so fun to be around. Um, He would engage with me. What do you want to learn? And it wasn't just about what I wanted to learn. It was about, okay, how can I take what you like and, and transform you and train you into something better, right? And so I learned so much from that experience. And what's funny is with both instruments, I struggled with practicing, okay? If you've ever learned an instrument that's the hard thing at the very beginning is, is practicing. But with Miss Clark, it was like, how dare you be such a bad student? You're such a bad person. But with Daniel, it was like, hey, man, if you don't practice, we're not going to have very fun together, very much fun together, right? These lessons are going to be more, you know, tragic than they are uplifting. But what I've kind of, when I, when I was reading 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm reading all these words from Paul, and I get these exasperated words these things remain. Faith, hope, and love. I just want to put it out plain and simple for you. 
but the greatest is love. I see Paul standing in the middle of these tensions of saying, you have to be this way, but you have to be this way. And right in the middle, there's something beautiful. Right? I think with these two teachers, I had this extreme radical like craziness on one side and this loving, nurturing uh, person on the other side. And the loving, nurturing person helped me to understand, okay, I can grow and I can, I can learn it and I can lean into these things, right? Whereas the other person did not want me to be successful, it seems, by the way she taught me. But nevertheless... If you only get one side, I think you're missing out on the entire picture, right? If you just go to grandma's house and she just gives you cookies and ice cream, and then and that's all you have, you're going to have a pretty unhealthy lifestyle. But if you just have all the other things, you know, like just the things that aren't tasting good in your life, you're missing out on all the good things in life, right? There's all these different ways we can explore this together. But there's all these tensions. And if you just get one side, you're missing out on a bigger picture. And what I think Paul is leading us to in 1 Corinthians 13 is this bigger picture is summed up in these three words, faith, hope, and love. Now you can breathe a sigh of relief if you want. That sounds so simple, but again, it's simple, but it's not easy. With these three words, we stand in this tension, okay, where do I need to act and where do I need to surrender? There is this tension being wrapped up in these words, faith, hope, and love, but nevertheless, he gives us these three simple words, and it simplifies things for us. But my question always is when I get to these kind of words right here, because like I say sometimes, this sounds too churchy for me sometimes, and I want to make it in the real world. How does this really impact my life? I can say these things to people in my life that don't know Jesus, but these words don't mean much to them in the context that I'm trying to bring them to. So I really want to ask this question what's next? What's next? Because I think for, to, to us, like a very, very like standard level, everybody understands what these words mean. But I think we as a church need to kind of recognize them and take, them, take a hold of them and give them uh, definitions as to what we are going to show people and how they're going to impact their lives. So the first thing is faith that we talked about, right? Faith, hope, and love. These three things remain. But faith is something that everybody on this planet has, Right? No matter if you're a Christian or not, you have some sort of faith in your life. Even if you drive a car and you press the left thing, that's the brake, you're hoping your entire car stops, right? You have faith in your brakes. Literally, it's the same kind of thing when we talk about Jesus, right? We don't see the workings around us, but we have faith that Jesus died for our sins. And because of that, we have a different belief in what day-to-day life should look like, right? We have a different understanding of the world around us because we have faith in Jesus. Now, the non-believer has faith in a lot of different things. Right? And you can look around and see how a lot of those things crumble and fall. Right, If you have faith in your bank, if you have faith in a certain political candidate, if you have your faith in fill in the blank, whatever it might be, those things tend to crumble. The world expects things to be lifelong that do not end up being lifelong. And they put their faith in these things, but things fall short. For us, when we read these words here that Paul says, and now these three things remain... We can actually believe that. When we look at the faith that we have in Jesus, we recognize that he didn't die and stay dead. And we're going to read about that in a second here uh, in in Acts chapter 2. But the faith that we have is transformative. The faith that we have has the ability to take things and, and make them totally, totally new. But what I want to kind of emphasize this morning is that faith has a lot to do with past 
and present experiences that shape our worldview. Does that make sense? Past and present experiences that shape our worldview. When you have experience with, with, with the Holy Spirit, with Christ in your life, that shape your worldview. We just talked about baptism this morning. Whatever it was in their lives, those experiences, they shape their worldview forever. That is the faith that we're talking about, past and present realities that shape our decisions. The second word that kind of comes up here is this. I'm dead here. Can you uh, move forward? Back one. Is hope. So these two things, they work in tandem, right? We have faith and hope. And to me, when I look at hope, again, everybody in this world has hope, right? I hope that after Jimmy's done talking, I can get some good food, right? I hope that when we go, uh, Jimmy doesn't take too long this morning, whatever it might be. It's not all about me. I'm just, I'm just making fun of myself. Uh, but what I'm saying is everybody in this world has some sort of understanding of what hope looks like. I hope that my team wins. I hope that this happens for me. It's this positive reality we want to happen in the future, right? But kind of stepping aside, as Christians, when we read these words of Paul, these three things remain forever. Faith, we just talked about that. Past and present reality shaping our worldview. Hope takes it to a whole new level. Because we can have faith in our present reality, and we can have faith that Jesus is guiding us in our lives, but the hope that Jesus gives us transforms everything. It takes our kind of, you know, individual notion of what faith looks like and transforms it forever, that one day I'm going to be able to be with him forever. These things don't just remain on earth, they remain forever. That's what hope gives us the ability to do, to recognize that beyond our understanding today, there is something going on. And next slide there. These two things, hopefully, right, pun sort of intended, hopefully leads to a response of love. Faith, hope, and love. These three things remain. If you leave today without remembering that, something wrong with you, okay, right? Faith, hope, and love. Faith, the past and present reality shaping your worldview, hope of something that's going to happen to you in the future that leads you to recognizing, I got a job to do right now. These things are too big for me to hold on to myself. The faith that I find in Jesus, the hope of a reality that's beyond my understanding, right? This most excellent way transforms how I live my life, a response of love in the world. You can go to the next slide. We... we started this series by talking all about Peter and how, how he had an individual experience with this most excellent way, where he went from this place of ignorance to reality to reconciliation, right? The ignorant place was when he said, surely you won't die, Jesus, right? Surely that won't happen to you. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Because Peter thought he was somebody, that, thought he was somebody else than he actually was at that time. He was ignorant of the reality that he was living. But then Peter, he gets transformed really quickly by the reality of when he denies Jesus three times. When Jesus says, you're going to deny me, he says, no way. And then he does. That's the reality he's faced with. But then finally we land at the end of, uh, of the Gospel of John where Jesus and Peter, they're able to embrace and have breakfast. And yet at that point is when Jesus reinstates Peter. The reconciliation comes full circle, and that's the place we talked about five weeks ago where he was able to, to understand the most excellent way and go to Pentecost. Today we're going to look 
at Pentecost. So if you have your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter 2. If you can go to the next slide. This is a lot of verses. I understand that. But I also understand that we are a church that loves the Bible so that we can be in this together, okay? I'm going to read all these verses. I hope that you follow along. I don't have them on the screen because there's a lot, okay? But I want you to have all of this in mind, faith, hope, and love. I want you to have the experience that Peter had in mind, this ignorance to reality, reconciliation, all these things in mind as we read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to, do, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the past of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in this tomb here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, seeing that what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God, was ra God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted at his right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, has poured out what you see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he, ple he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, keep going. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. Amen. That is a good thing to say after that. So that was a lot. I understand. But there are things that I think we should notice in the context of what we're talking about today. Okay, this idea of faith, hope, and love, we see it kind of presented perfectly in the life of Peter. But Peter is able to take this experience that he, sat, that he had an, as an individual and take it to the masses. And by masses, I mean thousands of people, right? The thing that I want to notice right away is that this message of faith, hope, and love is captivating. 
It's absolutely captivating. They heard the gospel that they already saw. I want you to imagine this as some of the multitudes listening to Peter. They're talking and they're hearing about these things that they witnessed several weeks earlier, right? They're seeing all this thing take place. I'm sure they're replaying in their minds, oh man, I was one of those guys that was yelling, crucify him. I was one of those guys that wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus, And they hear this message that Peter is not laying on with any kind of sugar coating, right? The Jesus that you crucified, that you nailed to a cross. But yet through all that, they hear the message of faith, hope, and love, and it's captivating. My question for the church is, why do we see it as not so captivating today? This made thousands and thousands of people say, I need to change my life. Faith, hope, and love has the ability to change everything. I just want you to imagine how they felt hearing these words, right? The the scriptures talk exactly kind of, we're going to get to that in a second. They're cut to the heart about feeling this way. The second thing is that I love how Peter is, is telling the story, but he doesn't distance himself from the people. Right Over and over again, he says, fellow Israelites, fellow Israelites, because know what he's doing? He's saying, guess what? I crucified him too. I was there. I denied Jesus. I was not part of the solution, the problem, right? I was part of the problem. Fellow Israelites, I am part of what I am talking about. I am part of the people that nailed, the, nailed Jesus to the cross. It's almost kind of like he's saying, me too, right? Like, hey, I'm part of it too. My fellow Israelites, I'm part of the problem. And he goes a step further to say, you know, in, in a way, we should have known better, better, right? He talks about these prophecies uh, from Joel earlier in, in, in Acts chapter 2. And what David says, we should have known better. And what's their response? If you get the next slide there, Chuck. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other, other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They hear this message in large-scale transformation begins to happen. It's this message of the gospel, but but it's really a message of faith, hope, and love. Faith starts forming, right? Their past and present realities are shaping their mind at this very moment. They're hearing this story. They're relaying the information they've already experienced, and it's changing everything. What do we need to do now? Because this is real. This faith that I'm experiencing is real. Next slide. In verse 38, he says this. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, Peter gives them a place to go with their faith. Right? Their faith gets them to the place to say, what do I need to do now? And Peter gives them hope. This is going to change everything forever for you and for your family when you allow your faith to influence your hope. He gives them something to do with it. And then some more transformation happens. Next slide here. And this is something we all remember, right? The COC motto is kind of tucked away in here in Acts chapter 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
into fellowship into the breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Faith and hope and action brings this kind of love to reality. This sounds a whole lot like the virtues of faith, hope, and love, right? Not just on an individual level, but on a multitude, a magnitude level here. It looks a lot like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to uh, go to the next slide here. Next slide, maybe. No, that was right. I just, I just forgot to change the thing. Go back. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we are all given one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. All these things we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think are beautifully portrayed here at Pentecost and the days after, right? This faith, hope, and the response of love transforms not just the lives of these people, but our lives today. Do you realize we are sitting here in 2023 in Central Florida because all this stuff took place? We talk about people having faith in, in modern you know, people certain political candidates, certain uh, policies or whatever. You know, we have a lot of faith in those, but those things come and they go. We put a lot of hope in certain things that, that come and go, but we're talking about these three things remaining, and it's crazy, absolutely crazy we're still talking about it here in 2023 in Central Florida. But it's because this message is so captivating, and it's because these people saw it as something worth risking their lives for, dying for, and living for forever. I want to leave you with these three things, if you want to go to the next slide. How can we strive towards this most excellent way? The first thing is this slide. Tell one person about your faith. I like to give something very, very simple. Don't just tell your mom or your dad. Maybe that's a really great thing for you. I don't want to understate that at all. Um, But I want you this week to take what we've talked about the past several weeks about this most excellent way and start with one person. Tell one person about your faith, right? The past experiences, the present realities, the things that you see Jesus is doing in your lives. Tell one person. That's simple. The next thing is this. Write about your hope, the hope that you find in Jesus. I find it super uh, comforting and, and reassuring when I'm able to write stuff down and sometimes. I encourage you to write something down about the hope that you find in Jesus. Is it something that you just do on Sunday mornings? Is it something that you're just kind of you know, going through the motions of? I hope not. But I encourage you to write down the hope that you find in Jesus. What does it do? How does it impact your life? How does it make you help you, excuse me, help you make decisions in your life? How does that hope influence you? And the last thing is this, love others. It's simple, but it's not easy. Love others, it's simple, but it's not easy. I want to leave you with that because that's all Paul wanted to leave us with too, right? 
Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these things is love. And I know there's many people in here that are, have been transformed by that love. We saw a lot of people come up here and receive these Bibles because it's transformed them so much to where they say, I can't live the way I was living before. i got to do something different. If that sounds like you, I encourage you to respond this morning. We're going to have an invitation here in a second, but I want to encourage you uh, that whether it's in baptism or whether it's in having a conversation, whether you're saying, you know what, I don't even know how to show love to people anymore because people are broken and I, and I hate people. I get it. I understand that. But I want you to be encouraged by 1 Corinthians 13 and the words that Paul is saying is that love or faith, hope, and love have the ability to not only transform you, but to transform the entire world. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. I pray that we're able to live these words out. I know that I fall short all the time in these, in these words uh, that Paul's talking about, and I just pray that, uh, that I can be better and that as a church we can be better. Help us to be a people that really, really manifest this in our lives and make sure that the community around us knows that we're a people who believe this to our core. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs, we want to invite you forward while we stand and we sing.